Today, really what I'm going to be sharing is part two of what Archie shared about last week. So we're continuing in our series in Mark's Gospel, uh, which is titled The King and His Cross, Encountering the Real Jesus. And so last week, Archie looked at how Jesus, with authority and power, um, were performing inc- was performing incredible miracles and seeing people healed and demons cast out. And I've titled this message, The Morning After, because these verses that we're reading about are directly after what happened the night before. So let's have a look at Mark chapter 1, from verses 35 to 39. Uh, Kath, are you running to the front to be the Bible monitor? Good work out there. <laughs> Brilliant. Right, if, if you're new here and you don't have a Bible or you didn't bring one, just stick your hand up and Kath will come round and, and hand out a Bible. Kath, I think there's one on this side as well. I think maybe Kat at the back and... Okie doke. So let's all open or flick or swish or whatever you do on your phones (laughs) to Mark chapter 1. Starting at verse 35. Okay, you all with me? Yes? Good. Okay. So, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. In other words, what on earth are you doing, Jesus? So Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the villages nearby so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, And driving out demons. So the day before was the Sabbath. And it says that after sundown, people had brought heaps of people in the village of Capernaum to Jesus for healing. Of him to do miraculous things. And it had been a late night and Jesus and his disciples had poured themselves out in ministry. And what we find in these verses this morning is the very next morning, not just the very next morning, but whilst it was still dark and very early, Jesus' response to the night before was to go and meet with our Heavenly Father in the secret place of prayer. And I don't know about you guys, but if I have poured myself out in ministry, if I've given myself and served, the last thing I want to do, in all honesty, is to get up early the next morning and go and pray. Right? Is anyone else with me there? So <clears throat> when I was at university, at the church I was at, if I was leading worship or speaking at the evening service, um, I had this tradition where afterwards I would always go to the local Chinese just across the street and I'd always get egg fried rice and lemon chicken. And that would be the thing that I did. That would be my instinctive response of, oh, I've given myself, I need myself to give myself a treat now. And I actually learned a trick. This is very naughty, but I was a poor student and I learned very quickly that if you went in to the Chinese and and, um, you said you wanted it split across two portions to share with someone else. I had a friend there one time, so I said, can you just split it across two portions? They filled up both portions completely full. So actually you get two lots of egg fried rice and lemon chicken for the price of one. I was a naughty boy back then, wasn't I? Oh, dear. (laughs) 
So Jesus' response to him pouring himself out in ministry was to go to that secret place of prayer and devotion to the Father. So starting in verse 35, we see it was very early. While it was still dark, he got up, he left the house, and he went off to the solitary place where he prayed. Uh, I myself, I'm, I'm a bit of an extrovert, so I, I live a lot of my life outside of myself. And so if what you guys see of me on a Sunday, um, when I lead worship or when I speak, if that is 100% of my devotion to God, if, if, if I pour myself out and then during the week there's no sense of intimacy with the Lord, rightly so, you should be pretty worried about that. Because Jesus models that even after he's poured himself out, even after he's given um, the people around to him everything he can to bring them closer into his kingdom, seeing miracles, seeing incredible things happen, he still goes to that secret, intimate place of prayer. And this, in this passage, we don't, um, we don't find out exactly what Jesus was praying. It just says simply, Jesus went and prayed. But in, in the other Gospels, we see various examples of, of the sort of thing that Jesus prayed for. So we, we can have a general idea of what he might have been praying about. So in, in Matthew chapter 11, uh, Jesus was giving the Father praise. Uh, and for some of us this morning, that might be where we're at in our heart. We might feel like we just want to give God praise Maybe he's answered um, a prayer of ours. Maybe we've seen him do something incredible in our family or in our workplace or in our own life. And we're just really thankful. And our heart's response is we want to just pray and praise God and thank him for all he's doing. In, in Luke chapter 22, we find that Jesus prayed specifically for his friend, for Peter, and he, had, he said to Peter, I've prayed that you may have faith. So for maybe for some of us, um, one particular person comes to mind, a friend or a family member, who we feel on our hearts for to pray and to bring before the, bring before the Father and ask him to do something in their life. Jesus did that. Later on in, in Luke chapter 22, we'll know the very well-known prayer Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before his father uh, in an incredibly challenging place and getting down on his knees and praying to the father, not my will, but your will be done. So a prayer of obedience, a prayer of sacrifice, a prayer of perspective of, Lord, this is, this is difficult. What's going on in my life is, is difficult, but I want to follow you. And I want to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. Maybe that prayer is rising up in some of us this morning. We look to John chapter 11, when Lazarus was risen from the dead. An incredible miracle. Jesus thanks God, the Father, for his answer to prayer. In John chapter 17, we see Jesus praying for protection and unity amongst the church and all those who believe in him. Maybe some of us feel that heart of praying for protection, for unity in the church, in our own church, and also in the wider church family. There's all these prayers that Jesus prayed. And so when it says here in verse 34, Jesus prayed, we can get a glimpse into what he might have been praying to the Father about. 
And so his disciples went to look for Jesus. They'd had a bit of a sleep in. They must have been pretty shattered after the events of the night before. They get up and Jesus is nowhere to be found. So they go to look for him. And when they find him, their response is this. Jesus, in verse 37, when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. In other words, Jesus, what on earth are you doing? What on earth are you doing? There's a mission to carry out, Lord. There's people who need saving. There's the sick who need to be healed. There's so much that needs to be done. What on earth are you doing out here by yourself praying? Seems like a total waste of time. But you see, Jesus knew his purpose. He knew what he was called to do, and that's what he did. So what what I'd like us to think about this morning is what can we learn from, from this passage? And I think the first thing we can learn is that Jesus was dependent on the Father. Jesus was dependent on the Father. As I was reading that, some of you might have been thinking to yourself or asking, like, if, if Jesus was fully human, but also fully God, why was he praying? Why did Jesus need to go and go to that quiet place and pray? He was God. What's going on there? But I think the reason we find for Jesus going to pray is because he was dependent on the Father. Now, before I got married to Abby, I lived uh, in Aberdeen with four other friends of mine for, I think it was for three years. And we had a great time. And one of our flat traditions was in the run-up to Christmas, we'd get the biggest Christmas tree we could find. So we'd go out and buy a, maybe an eight-foot or ten-foot Christmas tree. And if you'd been into our lounge, you would have known it definitely shouldn't fit a ten-foot Christmas tree in there. But we'd clear the sofas away, we'd move the TV into the corner, and we'd, we'd pack it in. And we loved having a Christmas tree so much, we'd keep it for as long as possible after Christmas. And one year, I think the record for the longest time we kept our Christmas tree was till sort of mid-April. <laughs> right? Now, you can imagine, by mid-April, it was totally brown. There was no lovely aroma that you get from a Christmas tree. Uh, the needles had started to fall off. The branches were brown, and it just looked an absolute state. And so at that point, we would have thought, okay, right, it's time to get rid of it. So a um, couple of options. Firstly, get it through the house, uh, through the hallway and out the front door, leaving mess everywhere. thought, no, we won't do that. We'll just take it out the window. But of course, as we pulled it out the window, as it touched the window frame, the needles just came back into the room and covered absolutely everything. And it was a total mess. Now, the reason I'm telling this story is because although when you first get a Christmas tree, it looks lovely, it smells nice, it's green, it is essentially dying because it's been cut off from its root and it's dying. And by April, it was definitely totally dead, if not long before that. And in John chapter 15, Jesus tells us that he is the vine and we are the branches. So let's, let's turn to John 15 and have a little look at that. So let's look from verse 5. John chapter 15, verse 5. This is what Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me 
and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. So that's just like our Christmas tree. It was cut off from the root and it totally withered and we just had to get rid of it. And us too, in our relationship with the Lord, we're called to to remain in him in order to bear fruit and to flourish. And cut off from the Lord, we can bear no fruit and we wither. But the, the difficult thing is, is that remaining in him part and how we remain in the Lord and how we stay in that close relationship with him. Because cut off from him, we, I mean, we could survive for a while. Maybe we could preach a few good sermons. We could lead worship a few times. We could share the gospel a few times. But really in our hearts, we're struggling without that intimacy with the Lord. We're cut off from him. We need to remain in him. And Jesus himself models a life of perfect union and dependence on the Father. If we just stay in John's Gospel and just flick back a few chapters to John chapter 5, verse 19, we read this. Jesus gave them this answer. People questioned about what authority he was working under and he gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus was reliant and dependent on the father for all that he did. And in John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. And then in this passage, again in Mark's gospel, we find that Jesus goes and spends time with the Father very early in the morning. He gets out of bed, he leaves the house, goes to a solitary, to a solitary place, and he prays in intimacy to the Father. Jesus depended on the Father. And he models that intimate relationship with the Father that we too are invited into. In fact, that relationship with the Father is what we were made for. In Genesis chapter 2, we read that God breathed his breath into man's nostrils and he came alive. That's our origin, God's breath in creating us. But we find very soon after that in Genesis 3, that there's a separation, that man and woman choose to go their own way, choose not to live under God's authority, but under their own authority. And we find in Genesis 3 that God is walking through the garden and he calls out, he asks, where are you? Where are you? And and now God didn't ask that question for his own sake. He knows everything. He's the first and the last. He sees everything. He knows everything. He, Adam and Eve couldn't hide from him. He was asking, where are you? For their sake and for our sake. So we know that God is actively seeking after a relationship with us and that he wants us to be in intimacy with him. And he asks that same question to each of us today. Where are you? And I want to ask each of us, And ask myself that question, where am I? Where are you 
in your relationship with God. He's asking us, will we remain in him? Will we look to him? Will we treasure him? Will we find our strength in him? Will we look to him for all that we need? Just like Jesus did. Jesus depended on the Father. He lived a life dependent on the Father. And that's what we're called to as well. And I think the second thing we can learn from this passage is that Jesus got his direction from the Father. So Jesus has gone off to pray. And when his disciples eventually find him and super confused, what on earth is going on? Jesus responds with absolute assurance. But there's the pressure there. And aren't, aren't we under so much pressure in our lives? We're, asked, we're under um, a lot of stress, maybe at work. Maybe you've got people asking lots of things of you. What are you doing? Why haven't you done this? What about this? When is this deadline going to be met? What are you doing? Maybe in your family life, there's pressures. In the world, the world itself preaches to us every day. Do we recognize that? That the world preaches to us every day. It preaches to us about who we, um, who, what we should believe about ourselves. And what we should believe about others. Why we're here. What we should do with our money. How we should treat others. The world is preaching at us. Where do you get your direction from now at the moment i have the pleasure of being on our church leadership academy which is a a 10-month program of um, studies and learning and doing heaps of stuff and um, a couple of months ago i had no idea about where i'd be right now i was um uh, i hadn't looked into the leadership academy at all I'd thought, I'd totally written it off. I'd thought, this isn't even an option for us. It's not going to work out with my work. Um, We're not going to be able to make it work. But out of nowhere, one day, I just got this kind of inner sense of conviction that I had to just look into it, just to find out the details, because I hadn't gone to any of the open evenings, hadn't looked at the prospectus, um, hadn't asked any questions about it, but I had this just sudden conviction that I had to just find out more details. So I went online, I looked at the prospectus, and as I prayed about it, I thought, actually, maybe the Lord's asking me to do this. But it seemed like a crazy idea, because there was two options, full-time and part-time. And even the part-time option is is one whole day a week, a whole Thursday. And I thought, there's no way this will work with my work life. Um, And then I actually brought it to someone in in church, uh, I asked him before, he, he, and he said he didn't mind me saying, but Simon Glazier, very wise man. We were at, a, I think it was a church lunch at the Skinners, and I just grabbed a minute with him. I said, Simon, can I just ask your advice about this? And I spoke to him, and we chatted it all through, and um, I had a few doubts and concerns, and he just spoke it all through with me, and he really encouraged me in that. And I went away feeling super encouraged, and me and Abby prayed about it more, and at the end of the day, we thought, actually, you know, this is God's leading and that I should go for it and that this was his hand of direction on our life. And it, and it, it was so lovely, actually. It just felt like a, a kind of um, a wee change in direction. I, I didn't see it coming at all, but it was like the Lord just gently said, right, oh, here's the next thing. Here's what you're to do next and you're to walk in that. Where do we get our direction from? In Psalm 119, Verse 105, we read this. 
Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. God has given all to us that we need to follow his voice and to follow his direction, his word, his spirit, his church, fellowship amongst one another. He's given us all we need for direction in life. And Jesus ultimately looked to the Father for direction. In John chapter 14, verse 31, we read this. I love the Father and do exactly what he commanded me. I love the Father and do exactly what he commanded me. And it's for that reason, back to our first passage, that Jesus could say to his disciples, hey, I I know what you're saying. I know you have this expectation of me, of what I should be doing. Because the disciples were, were from Capernaum. And that is where Jesus, the night before, had done all those miracles. That's where he had performed all those signs and wonders. So for them... This was incredible. This was where they would have grown up. All their friends were there. All their family were there. People were coming to know the Lord. And they were thinking, right, day two of the mission in Capernaum. This is perfect. But Jesus had other other ideas. He said, "I, I know what you're saying. I know it's great what happened there. But in verse 38, he said this. Let's go somewhere else. It's like, huh? What do you mean, Jesus? Let's go somewhere else. There's amazing stuff happening last night, and they're begging for more. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the villages nearby, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus went to the secret place of prayer, and he received his direction from the Father. And when the pressure was on, when people came to him with all these expectations of, Lord, we're expecting you to come here and do this and do it in this way. And he could say, no, let's go in this direction. That's why I've come. And he went to the other villages. He went to Galilee instead. Jesus got his direction from the Father. And that's where we too are to get our direction from. And it can be really difficult sometimes, can't it? So many conflicting voices within ourselves, within the world around us, that it can be easy just to be swept along and led along by life. And you find, I, I don't know about you, but I can find a week goes past, a month goes past, and it's like, have I been following the Father's direction or have I just let life just sweep me along? And time just goes. Jesus got his direction from the part, from the Father. He depended on the Father, and we too are as well. And thirdly, I think we find from this passage that Jesus got his purpose from the Father. And do you find that um, as you spend time with your family, time with your friends, whether it's people who are in church or out of church, that people are absolutely crying out for purpose, crying out for something bigger than themselves, something to sign up to, something to be part of which is bigger than just themselves. Not long ago, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who had actually been in um, a really tragic accident at work 
which involved him and a number of his colleagues. And there are a number of deaths, um, but he thankfully managed to survive. And it was the fourth anniversary of, of this tragic accident. And um, he, he doesn't come to church, and he was just asking. And he, you could see him struggling with his purpose and thinking back to that moment. And he came out with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, he came out with a lot of struggles, but he'd come through the other side, and he's in a, in a really good place now. But he's wrestling with his purpose. Like, like, why am I here? What am I here for? What am I meant to be doing? And it was a real honour in that moment um, that I just got to share with him what I thought his purpose was. That he was here for a relationship with God and that God kept him alive and saved him, literally. And that God wanted to have a relationship with him. Have you ever wondered, what on earth am I here for? What, what on earth am I doing here? Well, in Jesus' own words, in John chapter 38, chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says this, I'm here not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. I'm here not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is what kept Jesus going, even when we looked to Gethsemane, when he said a very similar prayer, not my will, but your will be done. That is screaming out purpose, isn't it? Jesus knew his purpose. And he said, not my will. That's not my purpose. My will was that your will would be done, Father. And a bit earlier in John's Gospel, um, his disciples were challenging him and saying, you know, Lord, surely, he explained to them about his death. They said, surely not, Lord. And he, and he said, no, this is why I have come. Jesus knew his purpose. And part of that, I believe, is that because he spent intimate time in relationship with the Father. He carved out that time. And it wasn't just... Um, or, or for us, it's, it's not just a tick box exercise. It can feel that way sometimes, can't it? Like, oh, you know, I've read my verse for today or I've, I've shot up a quick prayer. You know, I can, I can feel okay now. I think a lot of this um, comes from the heart, really. And that with, um, with religion, and when, when there's a sense of rules and we have to pray or we have to read our Bible, um, it can really lead us to a place of um, not sonship, which I believe is what Jesus calls from us, sonship and daughtership, but a place of, of slavery and a place of um, having to do something, not out of joy, but out of duty. And I think God is, is wanting to remind us I really didn't want today's message to be um, a case of, right, we have to go and spend time with God. We have to read our Bibles. And if we don't, we should feel bad about ourselves because I'm not, I'm not perfect in this way. I struggle. I don't want to get up at 5 a.m. and read my Bible, to be honest. <laughs> I'd rather stay in bed. <laughs> but I think what Jesus is presenting to us here, that this is way more than just something we need to do to get to God. But actually in spending time with him, God wants to give stuff to us. 
This is not about us earning our way to God. We're already accepted. We're already saved by Jesus. He's already done something remarkable in our life. So when we approach him, when we do carve out that time, this isn't for us to get to God. It's about him coming close to us. It's about that intimacy with him. It's not just a tick box exercise. It's about dependence on him. It's about getting direction from him. And it's about knowing our purpose in him. And Jesus perfectly modeled us. And he sent his spirit to be with us, to lead us in that way. So that we can get our dependence from the Lord in all that we do. Seek direction from him in all that we do. And know our purpose from him. And I think that's what Jesus was doing there. He carved out that time. And off the back of that, we read, just in the final verse, So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So he did then go out and do the amazing things. He did go out and see people set free from demons and heal people. But it all began in the secret place of prayer. Uh, And I'll just finish on this. Charles Spurgeon, a well-known preacher, said these words. The secret of prayer is secret prayer. The secret of prayer is secret prayer. And that's what the Lord is inviting us into. That intimate relationship with him when we can bring it all to him. We can depend on him. We can seek his direction and we can know his purpose. And then we can live that out for his glory.